So hey there, good to have you with us. You know, we know that you have lots and lots of choices of what you're going to do with your weekend time. We know that your weekend time is really, really valuable to you. And guess what? There are thousands and thousands of churches that are now online or on TV every single weekend. And somehow, some way, you've landed here to take this journey together today with us. We want you to know we're honored and privileged by that. It means a lot to us. And you need to know. We hope you have a great experience with us and you want to come back and do this again real soon. We're continuing on today in a series that we're doing called Death to Religion, a series with a title that is a little bit problematic or a little bit challenging for some people. So let me just say this. Let me just say this. We're not saying that religion is always bad. In fact, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing when you get to the authentic essence of what it's supposed to be. So we're not demonizing the word. The word itself means the worship of God in all of our life. You can't demonize that. That's a beautiful word, and it's intended to be a beautiful thing. See, the problem and challenge is with what religion has become. It's not with what God originally intended for it to be. And there's a difference, and that's why we're talking about this. As I was thinking about this past week, I was thinking about words that tend to change meaning over time. So it used to mean this, and now it means something totally different. I mean, if you had told me years ago, years ago you would have told me I was bad, I was wicked, I was sick, I was gangster, or I was the bomb, I probably would have thought that was a bad thing, and you were somehow slamming me in that moment. I was talking with my 18-year-old daughter, Stella, and she added a few new words for me. A uh, fat, P-H-A-T, that's a good thing. I don't feel that, but it's a good thing. Uh, the other one is thick. It's good to be thick. So if you're fat, you're thick, that's good. I know. But, but you see how this thing works? And, and recently, there, there was a word that, that came, we came across that kind of went in the opposite direction. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the word corona. The word corona, think about it. Used to be cool, refreshing, little lime on top, especially on a really hot day. And now it means something different. Now when we think of this thing that used to be cool and refreshing and good, we think of, think of a virus. It's something that used to be cool and refreshing is now destructive. It's nasty. Something that used to be life-giving is now life-taking. Same word, different meaning. And I think that something similar has happened with this word religion. See, here at DCC, our vision is to change what people think, what comes to their minds when they hear the word church and they hear the word Christian. Now, two things about that real quick. Number one, we can't do that on our own, and we know that. That's why we partner up, because I love you, Colorado Springs, I love you. We partner up with 80 to 100 other churches in town to show the love of Jesus with no strings attached, because we can't change what people think when they hear those words without the help of many other churches. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. That doesn't mean that we get to come up with our own idea of what church or Christian should be. No, we have to get back to what Jesus originally intended for it to be. And the same is true of this word religion too. See, Jesus died to kill religion. The very religion that we're going after and we're trying to kill in this series. The church, this thing we do call church, is often hijacked by religion. And guess what? Jesus wants his church back. One of the main things, the primary things that's standing between you and me and the relationship that God wants to have with us is religion. It's getting in the way of this relationship that brings so much purpose, meaning, significance, hope, joy, and freedom to our lives. That's a problem. That's why we have to talk about this. That's why we're doing this series. That's why we're on this journey together, trying together to learn, to pause, to stop, to take a hard look at and play, pay close attention to those moments when Jesus and religion are different. And there's a bunch of them. So let's jump back into this together today 
And let's unpack another one of those moments. I promise you, there is so much hope for all of us in this story that we're going to walk through together today. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 8. If you have a Bible in front of you, John chapter 8, if you don't, no big deal. Everything I read is going to be right there for you at the bottom of the screen. So we're going to start at the beginning of the chapter, John chapter 8, verse 1. Here we go. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, let's stop here for a second. That's an odd way to start a chapter. And right before that, it says everyone else went home. It's late at night. Everybody else goes home. And then we walk into chapter 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, which he often did to pray. While everybody else is sleeping, Jesus is praying. So that's what that's about. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And here we go. And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, that, that's, kind of a, that's kind of an odd kind of different kind of response to bend down. We'll talk about that in just a minute. So Jesus is teaching a large crowd, which he often did. And here comes what? Here comes religion. Here comes the religious establishment. A small group of Pharisees or teachers of the law, and they're dragging this young woman that's been caught in the act of adultery. Yikes. And they take her, and they stand her before this large crowd of people, and they tell everyone what she's done. Now, we just read it. This moment is all about, it's, it's an effort to try to trap Jesus. They tried to get him the day before, they didn't, they're frustrated, they're trying again. And we need to talk through the differences in Jesus and religion here, and we're going to do that in just a minute. But can I just ask this, before we do that, can you and I, can we just be human for a moment? Back when I was a trial attorney, before I started being a pastor um, years ago, I was a trial attorney for about 10 years. One of the things you can't do in a jury trial is to ask the jury to put themselves in the place of the victim. That's an immediate mistrial. But now I'm a pastor, and I don't have to play by those rules, so that's exactly what I'm asking you to do. Can you imagine this moment? Can you imagine the embarrassment, the humiliation, the guilt, the shame, the hurt, the pain that this young lady is experiencing right here? And not only that, according to the law, guess what? She should be stoned to death on her father's steps of his house for what she's been caught doing here. So as she stands here in this moment, all this shock and all this shame, you know, barely clothed, if she's clothed at all, in front of this huge crowd with the very worst moment in her life, the very worst of her on display for the whole world to see. You know what I think? I'm not so sure. I'm sure she's shocked. I'm sure she's feeling shame, but I'm not so sure she's all that surprised by what's happening here. And you're like, how can you say that? Here's why I say that. Because here we are 2,000 plus years later, and some things about this story haven't really changed much at all. You're like, what are you talking about? Okay, you ready? Here it is. Religion often leads with what? Rules, judgment, and condemnation. That's what I ask you. Have you ever experienced that? Me too. And here's what you need to know. Jesus never does. We have to pay attention to the contrast here. We've got to pay close attention to this contrast here. See, when it comes to the good things we've done, the great things, the best things you've ever done in your life, think about those for just a moment. You know, maybe you helped someone across, the little old lady across the street, or you put somebody else ahead of yourself, or you did something that was other-centered. When it comes to the best moments, our best moments, guess what? Jesus and religion, they don't see us any differently. Both of them, high five, fist bump, whatever you want to do, they're going to do that. But when it comes to the very worst moments in our lives, most of the time, most of the time, Jesus and religion could not be more different. So here's my question. 
How do you expect religion to respond to the very worst of you? Now, my guess is, your answer is, well, I don't expect religion to respond to the very worst of me. Why? Because you're not going to expose religion to the very worst of you. Yeah, me too, I get that. See, I grew up in a religious experience that said to me, religion wants nothing to do with the worst of me. How about you? I grew up in an experience that said religion wants me to go out there and clean myself up, change this, 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 and this about me, make this better, make this better, clean myself up, and then you might be able to come in here and experience this religion thing with us. Religion's like, hey, it's like a hospital saying to us, hey, you're sick, go get well, and then you can come in. You know what? In the very small, legalistic, conservative church environment that I grew up in, I didn't see Jesus any differently. I couldn't see Jesus any differently. See, I couldn't imagine that Jesus himself would want anything to do with the very worst of me until, until this young woman's story that we're reading today, until that story became my story. And I'm not proud of that, but it's, but it's true. My wife Stace and Jesus are the heroes in the story. It's a great story of rescue today. But in that moment 15 years ago, when I blew up my life, my family, and my ministry publicly, I began to see, over the course of time, I began to see the difference between Jesus and religion for the very first time in my life. See, for me too, it was in in a moment when what? When the very worst of me was on display for the entire world to see. It was on that path, that long, hard path of pain and shame and judgment and condemnation and hurt and embarrassment and humiliation and and, and suicidal thoughts. It was on that path that I I began to experience Jesus in the most unbelievable, most beautiful and unbelievable way, more than I ever had experienced in my entire life. We have to pay attention to the contrast here. Here it is. Can I just say this to you? The most beautiful and amazing way that you and I will ever experience Jesus is when we watch how he handles the very worst of us. It's true. It's who he is. It's what he does. And it's what makes this young woman's story so important today for us. So Jesus has asked this question. And... um, he, he's asked this question, and he doesn't go right to the answer uh, of the question. Instead, we, we read here that, that he bends down in the dirt, and he starts writing in the dirt. So the million-dollar question then becomes, what is he writing in the dirt? answer is, I don't know. We don't know. We, us church people, we like to think we know a lot of things. We don't know the answer to this. So, so what is he writing in the dirt? We don't know. Here's my guess. Are you ready for this? How about this? How about he starts to write down? He looks at the Pharisees who are lined up there, ready to stone this woman. He says, ah, you, Jim, yeah. Yeah, I remember you. Spring break, Sea of Galilee, B.C. 12. Let's write that down. Oh, John, John, yeah, yeah. Bachelor party, Capernaum, B.C. 5. Oh, Zach, Zach, yeah, yeah, business trip, Tiberius, B.C. 2. I mean, he writes, what if he's writing down the sins of these particular guys? And I can't prove that. And I can't, I'm not saying, I'm not even suggesting to you I'm right here. What I'm suggesting to you is that that certainly lines up with how Jesus is getting ready to respond to their question. What do you say that we do? All right, let's listen to what Jesus says here. This is verse 7. He says, when they kept on questioning him, Jesus, he straightened up. So he was down riding in the dirt, now he stands up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. You know, I love the Bible. I love the Bible. You read it, and then you read the same thing again, and you get something totally different. 
And it's consistent, right? But I, that happened to me this past week. You know, when I read this story, I've read this story so many times. This is one of my very favorite stories in the entire Bible because of my own story. I found something this week that I never noticed before. What? Jesus wrote in the dirt, not once, but twice. He wrote a second time. So then the question is, okay, what do you write the second time? Ready? I don't know. We don't know. I mean, he could have wrote, he could have written down some more names and sins. Oh, you. Yeah, I know you. You. Or he could have written down scripture. That would have been, you know, the indication of, oh, you broke this commandment. You need to read Leviticus chapter 12. He could have done that. Listen, we don't know. Regardless of what he wrote, this part is clear. You ready? Jesus always leads with love and grace. He always leads with love and grace. Religion often leads with rules and judgment and condemnation. Jesus always leads with love and grace. Religion seldom does. With Jesus, that is the rule. It's not the exception to the rule. With religion, that's always the exception to the rule. Now, now, you see that in this story. It's obvious. These guys, these Pharisees, these religious guys, they want nothing to do with this woman. They could care less about her. She is a means to an end. If you go back and read in John chapter 7, the day before this, they tried to arrest Jesus, and they couldn't. So they're frustrated. And so now she's a means to an end for them. Here's the question. Where's the dude that she was committing adultery with? Where's the dude in the story? Because under the law, he should be stoned to death too. He should be right there. What's up with that? Well, scholars say that he was probably in on this scheme with the Pharisees to set her up, to set Jesus up, because this is all about trapping Jesus. But regardless, it's obvious from the story what? Religion could care less about her. Jesus is different. Jesus is different. Religion condemns her. Jesus doesn't condemn her. We're going to see that. Right, in fact, and you've got to know this too, though, Jesus doesn't condone what she's done either. What's Jesus do here? Are you ready? Watch this. Jesus has compassion for her. Jesus compassionately brings something into play here that the religious establishment, religious equation that religion often misses. What is it? It's this thing called grace. Amazing grace. You know what grace is? Grace is undeserved favor. You don't deserve it, you just get it. It's a gift to you. No, I don't deserve that. No, you don't, but here you go. You get it. Grace is undeserved favor. Jesus brings his amazing grace, his good grace, to her. You know, I don't know about you, but when I read this story, I'm pretty hard on these Pharisees, these religious guys. I, I, I really am. I have a tendency to judge them. I have a tendency to condemn them. But, but I think that we need to back up for a second and realize how, how susceptible we too are to act in a similar way when we get around religion. What I mean by that, we tend to forget where we came from, don't we? Isn't that what Jesus is pointing to here? Hey, guys, 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 are we really going to start down this path? Are we? I mean, Jesus talks to us about, hey, you, you see the speck in your friend's eye. What about the log in your own? Jesus is like, are we really, guys, are we really going to walk down this path? What about you? What about your life? Don't we want to start this journey there? See, we have a, we have a bad habit of forgetting where we ourselves came from. Now, as I say that, listen, I want to be careful. I'm not suggesting to you that you stay stuck in your sin and all the guilt and shame that you feel because of what you've done in your life. No, don't do that. I'm not suggesting that you allow your sin and your mistakes to define you. Whatever you do, don't do that. It's what you did. It's not who you are, and it doesn't define you. So don't do that. But what I am suggesting to you is this, that if we really want to be like Jesus, especially in this moment, and we do, that's the goal, to be like Jesus. If we want to be like Jesus, we cannot forget where we ourselves have come from, and we cannot forget that we are hopeless. All of us are hopeless without what? Without the grace and the love of Jesus. Every single one of us are without hope. And so back to the question. 
It's the question under this whole series. Are we recognizing the difference between Jesus and religion here? Are we? Because listen, listen, I don't know about you, but for me, it helps me to hear it. It helps me when I read it. It helps me when someone else tells me about it. But what helps me more than anything else is when I actually see it for myself. And so before we move on, before we move on, I think we need to think about our own lives and our own story for just a minute. I think it would do us some good to pause for just a minute and think about our, our own lives and, and, and our own stories. To think about our own lives and our own stories, let's just take a few minutes. Let's just take a little time. I'll be back. But in just the next few minutes, let's take a little time to think things over as we watch and we experience this. Gotta take a little time A little time to think things over I better read between the lines In case I need it when I'm older In my life There's been Show me, yeah. 
Does that sound familiar to you? In my life, I've had heartache and pain. I don't know if I can face it again. Can't stop now. I've traveled too far. There's, there's, no way. There, there, there's no way back. It's just my life, my story is completely hopeless. Is it? And I want to know what love is. All of us have been there. We've been there because of, of things that we've done. We've been here because of things that have, that have been done to us, too. It really makes no difference. We've all experienced this. And are you paying attention to the contrast here? I mean, what's the posture of religion in this moment? Can I show you? Doesn't it look like this? Isn't this the posture of religion in this moment? And what's the posture of Jesus? He's like, no, 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 put that down. No, 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 come, come here, whoa, 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 look at me, look at me, look at me. Take my hand. I love you. Stand up and walk with me and let me show you. Would you let me show you what love is? There is so much hope for us in this story. But you know what? I think the question for us is, so what posture do we tend to take? I think there's a few things working against us here. One of those things is, I think that we only usually extend grace to the extent that we've experienced it ourselves or we've needed it ourselves. So I can extend grace to people who've done what I've done. But people who do things that, that maybe are, in my mind, worse than what I've done, we have a problem with that. I also think another problem that we have with this is, we tend to think that God grades on a curve. So it's that thing, you know, the top third go to heaven, bottom third go to hell, and the middle third have to live in Missouri. <laughs> I used to say Kansas, but I'm trying to give my Kansas friends a, a, a break there, rock chalk Jayhawk. But they live in Missouri. Missouri's the show me state. Show me why you would live there. I'm just that. But anyway, but you get the point, right? God graves on a curve. In, in other words, listen, if there's a bear chasing us, here's the good news. I don't have to run faster than the bear. I just have to run faster than you. That's a good thought, right? Choose your hiking partners carefully. If somebody's always asking you to go hiking, you probably ought to give that a little bit of thought. So, so, so God grades on a curse, so I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as you. Yeah, I've done some jacked up stuff in my life, but at least I haven't ever done that. Have you ever found yourself or caught yourself thinking that? Let me ask you this. Have you ever used the very worst moment in someone else's life and story to help you feel better about yourself? See, so here's what you got to understand. That's a symptom. It's a symptom of religion. It's a symptom of the religious spirit at work in us. Religion points to things. What's religion pointing to here in this story? Adultery. Ooh, bad, bad, that's bad, and we still do that. I've been on the receiving end of that. We point to adultery. We point to homosexuality. We point to bisexual. We point to transgender. We point to abortion. We've got our list. We create this hierarchy of sins. Oh, this one's worse than that one. This one's worse than that one. This one's worse than that one. Here's the top 10. Here's the top 15. Oh, my gosh, those are terrible sins. What does Jesus point to in this moment? That's what we got to ask ourselves. You want to know what he points to? He points to this. We're all in the same freaking boat. He points to Romans chapter 3. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's plan for our lives. We all, we've all done it. And then Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin, the great payoff for our sin is death. That's what we deserve, but we don't get it. Why? Grace, undeserved favor. But that's what every single one of us deserve. Now think about that. The wages of sin, not some sins, not certain sins, not certain sins that you and I have determined, oh, these are the big bad ones. This one grosses me out. This is creepy. This is that. I'm uncomfortable with that one. I've never been tempted to do that, or I've never done that one myself. No, no, no. All sin. We're all in the same boat. See, what Jesus is trying to help these guys see is this. You see her? You see her right there? And all the shock and all the shame. Yeah, I don't see her any differently than I see you. And guess what? You shouldn't either. We are all hopeless without what? 
without the love and grace of Jesus. See, here's the thing. Listen, Jesus never picked one or two sins and said, That's, those are the worst. That's what religion does. Jesus doesn't, he, he doesn't do that. Can we just be real here for a few minutes? Let's get really uncomfortable for a second together, okay? So, so do you want to get really technical about this Bible stuff and what Jesus tends to point to the most? You know what it is? Selfishness. Selfishness, greed, and seeing the needs of the hopeless and helpless and poor people around us and doing nothing with our resources and our money to respond to that. That's what Jesus talks about the most and points to the most. And yet, it's funny, I don't know anyone that wants to talk about that. That points at that. I don't. Even us church people, I love you, but come on, we don't. Okay, so, so here's the deal. Religion tends to, tends to be packed full of truth with little, if any, grace. That's true. But here's the thing we have to realize, okay, before we land this plane. That's not it. There's more to it than just that. Now, the other part of that that we got to get is this. 100% grace alone is not the answer either. In fact, I'd say this, actually, 100% grace alone is a very slippery and very scary place. And we're getting ready to, to see that. Let's finish this thing up, uh, verse 10. Jesus straightened up, he stood up again, he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, let me say this, listen. If your Bible is anything like mine, there's a little note here right before you start chapter 8 in the book of John. Not all Bibles have it, but many do. And it basically says this. These verses that we just read are omitted from some ancient manuscripts. They're not in there at all, which doesn't surprise me at all. And here's why I say that. You and I, we're up against an enemy in our story. He hates you. He sees who it is that you could become, and he hates that. He's determined to stop it. He doesn't want you to hear or think about what we're talking about today. And he hates the Bible, too. In fact, for thousands of years, he's been trying to destroy it. With no luck, it's still here. So if he can't destroy it, what's the next best thing? If I'm him, I'm saying this. i got to get that story out of there. Why? Because the last thing in the world that your enemy and I, my enemy, same, once for any of us is for us to get and understand this. Jesus will never give up on us. Never. Religion will. Religion does. Religious people will. Religious people do. Jesus will never give up on us. He doesn't. He doesn't, he doesn't give up on this young woman in the story, does he? No. But he also doesn't wink at her and say, you know what, it's no big deal. I know you love the dude, and you all got big plans. He's going to leave his wife and kids and run off with you, and you got a date plan that that's going to happen. And he's your soulmate. He's your destiny. And he listens like no man ever has before. You've got this connection you've never felt before. So you just go on, silly girl. Do whatever you want. No. It's not what Jesus says. What's he say? He says, come here, come here, come here. Take my hand. Listen, look at me. I love you, and I don't condemn you. And I forgive you, but you cannot keep living your life like this. You've got to start living your life differently. Why? Because this will never lead you to the life you want. This will never lead you to a path where you know what love is, where you experience the life that I came to give you. See, grace and love, here's what we've got to understand. It's, this, is, this is what this moment is about. This is a moment of what? Unlimited grace, and now we have this other part, uncompromising truth, which is one of the hills we die on in this place. Biblical grace and truth. Church people are known to be full of a lot of things, right? They're full of, okay, full of grace and full of truth. That's what it's supposed to look like, 100% of each, not some weird combination of the two. 
But love and truth will never be a substitute. I'm, I'm sorry. Love, grace and love will never be a substitute for truth. But it will always, it will always pave the way for truth. It will pave the way. It will open hearts and minds and ears to be able to actually hear the truth. So here's what we're seeing in this young woman's story. You ready? Religion has a way of continuing to try to disqualify us. And Jesus never does. We've got to pay attention to the contrast. So whatever you do, whatever you do, do not allow religion, religious people, church people, yourself, or anyone else, put a limit on what it is that Jesus wants to do in you and what he wants to do through you. Jesus has big plans for your life. And listen, I don't know your story, but I do know this. Your story's not over. And Jesus, he will never give up on you. So, just like Jesus did with this young woman in the story, he's shown us what love is too. And he did that when he went to the cross. See, we can't settle for religion. we got to get to Jesus. And so, as we wrap this up and leave this for this weekend, I'm hoping that you're just going to sit for a minute in this. Jesus saying to you, yeah, I did that for you. I went to that cross for you. I love you that much. And yes, they beat me. They did. It was brutal. And yes, they put a crown of thorns on my head. Yes, it was brutal. And they made me carry that cross up that hill, and I couldn't carry it the whole way. Yes, it was brutal. But then they nailed me to the cross, and I died on that cross. Yes, I did that for you, and I couldn't stop. I wouldn't stop. I will do anything in my power to what? To make you okay. And so regardless of where it is that you find yourself sitting today, I'm here. And I care. And even when you feel alone, even when you feel like, you know what, you've got no place to hide, no place to run, no place to turn, that's not true. Even when you're facing heartache and pain and you don't feel like that you can take it again, even when you you feel like you've gone too far and there's no way back, that's not true. Listen to me, whoa, whoa, take my hand. I love you. And I will never, ever, ever give up on you. I haven't, I won't, I can't. Listen, I couldn't love you more. See, regardless of where we sit today, regardless of what we find ourselves going through, there is hope. There's hope. And the answer is not more religion. The answer is always more Jesus. And I'm hoping that now that we're a few weeks into this journey together that we're starting to see this. There is a big, big difference. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we just thank you. Thank you for coming to this earth. Thank you for dying on a cross for our sins because we're hopeless without that. And we look forward to the day where because of that and our trust and our faith in you, we get to spend eternity for you. But there's a lot of life for a lot of us between now and then. And Jesus, I just want to say thank you for caring about the now and then too. That you want to come into this space with us and not only forgive us, you want to set our captive hearts free. You want to lead us to this incredible life to the fullest that you came to bring us. Would you bring hope in the hopelessness that so many of us are facing today? Would you do what it is only you could do? Lead us to the life. We want every single bit of the life that you came to bring us, Jesus. May it be so. Come, Jesus, come. In your name, amen.